Hi, this is Paula. And I'm Joseph, and you're listening to Life Lived Better. Well, welcome back to another episode, and how excited are we? We get to (laughs) another episode of Questions for Counselors. So, Joseph, I'm going to just jump right in there, and I'm going to ask you one of the questions that my students asked me. That is, when I'm talking to someone, how can I make sure they know I heard them? So I would say validation is really important. And by validation, that means, um, you know, finding ways to repeat back to them, like maybe through paraphrasing, where you ask for the opportunity to let them, you know, to repeat back to them what you heard. Um, body language, I think, makes a difference, kind of your your posture, kind of what they're seeing. If, if you're, you know, making good eye contact and paying attention, um, also not immediately at the end of whatever they're saying, go, but, or, you know, and like, that's a pretty good sign that someone's not listening. I think when you immediately have a response, like you don't even have time to take a breath. So that's not a good thing, but I would definitely say the validation of paraphrasing would be kind of the biggest for me. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Just, and sometimes even just making sure that I understand them saying, um, can I just say back to you what I think I heard? Is that right? Sometimes. Yeah. Or using like when I'm with a client, if they've given me some information, when I'm on page one of the assessment and I get to page five and it asks a similar question, I may just say, I know that you've already told me about this, but I wanted to ask you a little more about something you said earlier, mm-hmm. which is yeah, that's kind funny. of paraphrasing, isn't it? Yeah, that is something that happens, I think, a lot when you're going through history. And, you know, I'm pretty good memory wise about remembering like I can remember clients from 10 years ago and their stories and kind of what they were going through. I can't remember like a movie I watched a week ago, but I can remember (laughs) these kinds of things. But, you know, being able to recall that information and, you know, especially if it's all happening and because I do a lot of evaluations and I catch myself sometimes occasionally because I've, you know, I'm back to back or I've got, Mm -hmm. you know, something going on that I, you know, maybe aren't listening as closely as (laughs) I should. So I catch myself asking questions that have already been answered sometimes. And sometimes I'll catch myself in the middle of it and stop and say, oh, you know what? You already answered answered that, you know, plug it in. Um, but other times I'll have clients say, yeah, like I said earlier, (laughs) you're not listening to me. (laughs) Yeah. That's not good. But for the most part, I have to, I have to say, I listen, but occasionally, you know, we all are guilty of checking out for a moment. Oh my gosh. Whenever I did assessments all day long, if I didn't at the end of the day, document all of the assessments, you know, back in the day when we wrote them by hand, Mm -hmm. if at the end of the day, I didn't document them all and I moved it into the next day, I would sometimes think, okay, was he the one that said that? (laughs) So I I was (laughs) really good at documenting. Yes. I've gotten really good at, at, getting through them electronically. And I, I could, I could ramble off the questions in order at any point because mm-hmm. I've gone through them so much at this, at this point. So, you know, it's, and I remember those days, like writing things down or trying to remember who said what, or, and, and I think that's something that probably happens a lot, especially with new counselors is, you know, figuring out a system for themselves and figuring out how to take good notes so that, you know, you can remember that 
that kind of stuff. My notes mm-hmm. have, have turned into kind of a shorthand that most people wouldn't understand, you know, if they looked right. at them, but it's taken me time. Used to, I would write full blown sentences about, mm-hmm. you know, clients or what we were talking about. And that just takes too much time and you're not making any eye contact. And it appears that you're just looking down the entire time. So that's not good. Well, how do you um, do an assessment on the computer without the computer, like being a barrier between you and your client? Well, I mean, physically, my computer sits off to the side, so I'm kind of, it's not great for my posture, but I'm kind of, you know, turned sideways. My neck is looking one way at the computer, but I still try to maintain a lot of eye contact Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm really good about taking in the information and then turning, you know, back to the computer and entering, you know, again, because I'm so used to these evaluations and kind of, you know, how they flow so I can get information from someone and then, you know, go to the computer and plug it in pretty quickly um, and still maintain a good amount of contact. Good. Yeah. I guess it is, uh, for people who are new or going to become counselors, it's good to know, like you do kind of get a system after Mm -hmm. a while and we all have different systems. It's just kind of whatever works best for us. Yeah. For years, I just used my laptop and I had it, you know, right in front of me and I could see over the screen, you know, but now that I'm older and my eyes are going (laughs) I you need an 87 a, inch monitor <laughs> to get a bigger monitor. And God, when I got it, it was like, why didn't I do this sooner, man? Uh, yeah, that little 15 inch screen and these little tiny fonts and all mm-hmm. these little boxes and bubbles you have to check. Like it's, oh, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. I had a standing desk at work and I love it because it, it helps me not sit all day, but I have two monitors and the one that doesn't, doesn't go up with me. <laughs> I have to squint at it. Yeah increase the size of the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, aging. We're going to do that topic eventually. Yes. Okay. So you ready for question number two? Yes. Question number two, how do counselors set up goals with their clients? And then how do they know if they're meeting their goals? Another good question. So I, I literally have a goals worksheet that I use with new clients. So typically my first session is going through their history. Sometimes that turns into two sessions, but um, going through their history, I have, again, that intake that I go through with them. Um, If it's, you know, they're not actually there for an evaluation, it's a little bit more casual. Like I have it printed out and I'm just kind of in conversation. I'm filling it out. But usually within the first couple of sessions, I go through a goals worksheet with clients and it's broken down into short-term goals, long-term goals. So five years and then five years plus. And then we also on the flip side has like therapy goals. Like what are the things that you want to accomplish in therapy? And I find that a lot of people don't really know the answer to that. Mm. You know, some people come in with a very specific thing, but others, you know, just come in because they know they need some help, but they're not exactly sure where they need the help. So that one can be pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. The life goals are generally pretty easy because most people are already working on goals. They just haven't written them down or labeled them as goals. And then as far as meeting them, I think that's one of the main things I talk to clients about when we're, when we're setting goals is measurability. And I think measurability is a crucial piece in actually getting your goal accomplished because you have to be able to see that you're making progress. Otherwise, you know, it's just kind of a fleeting idea that pops into your head from time to time. Mm -hmm. So I always think of like the best way to describe it is saving money. So if you're saving, you know, a hundred, $200 a month and you get paid four times, then, you know, divide 200 by four. And that's how much money you need to pull out of each check. You need to be realistic in, in that, you know, you still have money to pay your bills and still have money to live. 
Um, so they need to be realistic and then, you know, measurable in that you can look back two weeks into the month, you should have this much money, you know, put back and you can see that you're growing and you're kind of getting closer. So that's a really important piece, I believe. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I don't know, I would have found surprising if before I became a counselor is the clients are the ones who make the goals. We don't set the goals for them. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because uh, gosh, if, if we just did an assessment and just made all the goals, a person's not going to put their time and energy into meeting the goals we set for them. So I like right. that. And, you know, I like um, using acronyms. And when I think about goals, I always use that acronym. And I teach my students this as make a smart goal. And I've learned this probably somewhere in treatment, uh, in a treatment center, but uh, smart S specific, make it a real specific, not just mm. A goal isn't to become happy. That doesn't mean anything, you know, like right. what does it mean to be happy specifically? And M is measurable, you know, like you mentioned, like, how can I measure this? How do I know if I'm getting better? If it's, 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 you know, getting better and A, is it attainable? You know, goals have to be something that you actually can attain. You know, I can't, I can't make a goal of being Miss America today. It's not attainable just because of my age. No other reason, of course. Um, <laughs> are realistic, you know, I mean, again, again, need, they need to be realistic goals and then T time specific. Like mm -hmm. I need to know, like you said about the breaking down the money, like in a week, I need to know mm -hmm. what to, and by this time and by this time, and I'll just love uh, using those acronyms. Yeah. That's, that's on, on my goal sheet. It's printed. Ah, I thought it was just me making it well, up. I don't have smart. I've not, I haven't heard that. I like that, but it's just measurable, attainable, and realistic. Mm -hmm. And then I go through like what those three, those three things mean. Mm -hmm. So, and how they apply to, I have them do their goals first, and then we go back and look at, you know, those three things. Yeah. So that's I'll awesome. have to add the, the S and the T. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Uh, so uh, God, this question is pretty great. And I think it's one many people have is, you know, can counselors be vulnerable with their clients? You know, can they show their emotions? I think absolutely. I mean, I don't think that that's the case every day, all day, but I think, you know, when someone is being vulnerable with you, it's important that they can, you know, make a connection with you. And sometimes that you know, is just being empathetic through your words. Sometimes it's, you know, expressing how you would feel in that situation or what you think you would feel in that situation. Um, so I think, you know, I think absolutely, but it's just going to be on a case by case, you know, basis. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's something that you make a decision in that moment. I don't think you can go into, you know, the field thinking this is how I'm going to be all the, all the time. And I'm going to express, you know, my stories and my history and, you know, you, you do that when it's appropriate. And the only way I know how to explain how it's appropriate is just that you just have a feeling, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully you have a feeling of this may help in this particular, you know, conversation to help this person, you know, make sense of this or help them connect. Right. What do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, you know, we can't be like laying on the floor sobbing <laughs> as a client and holding them, you know, uh, spooning. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a little too much because we still have to kind of be in control. But absolutely, we can express emotions. We get to know our clients really well. Mm -hmm. and, and it does hurt us when they're hurting sometimes. It can't be 
always, I can't always be feeling what they feel. But I think about this, I think about um, a, a therapist I had for a very, very long time. And I was seeing him. Um, I, I was seeing him when, when my dad passed away. I was actually seeing him again back when my mom passed away, you know, like 15 ish, mm. 15 or 20 years later, 15. But I had gotten to know him so well over that period of time. After I came home and was ready to go back into counseling after uh, my mom passed away, he came to the door and he just said, Paula, and, and it was the way he said it. It's like mm-hmm. I heard emotion. Mm-hmm. And when he hugged me, he had uh, he had, you know, he had tears in his eyes. That was so like he hurt because he knew me. He cared about me. We had mm-hmm. invested in this relationship. He was sad that I was hurting. Now, I went in to in into the session and I continued crying. He didn't continue crying throughout the whole session. You know, he he turned into the therapist and he was mm-hmm. able to direct the session. But I didn't see anything wrong with um, him having some tears, knowing that I was hurting, you know, in anticipation of me coming in that day thinking about me. I think mm-hmm. that was the best def- uh, example I can give of appropriate emotions. I love that. I think yeah. that's that's a great example. And you know, I definitely have gotten, you know, choked up with clients, you know, when they're telling stories, like it's, it's such a painful thing to hear, or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that's been, you know, just really, really hurt or disregarded by their family. Like sometimes those things, you know, they hit you to the core. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think part of being human is we have emotions and we have, you know, responses to hurt and the things that other people are feeling. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great example of him, you know, showing that and then kind of going into therapist and, you know, helping, helping you kind of process through that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, clients bring stuff up that there are issues too, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, when someone brings up something that's especially emotional for me, I know that I'm going to have to, I'm going to feel some emotions, but I'm going to have to also set boundaries to um, maintain the professional relationship. I know when I, especially in residential treatment, when you get to know clients like really, really well, because they are there 24 hours a day, whenever they uh, leave, they graduate, they coin out whatever term, you know, the facility calls it. I always get choked up then, you know, when the clients are going around in a circle telling them, you know, do you remember when this happened? And this is what I remember about you. And this is, I always get choked up when it comes my turn and I get to say goodbye to them and, you know, wish them well. I do yeah. not know the reason that particular instance chokes me up, but oh, every time. I think it's just like, it comes back to just feeling really proud of the work that somebody, you know, does in that short amount of time mm-hmm. and just kind of seeing where they started and where they're finishing and and the insight and everything that they've gained, because you're right. I mean, we do get very invested and, you know, clients seem surprised. Like when I, you know, when I see someone after it's been a couple of years, you know, and I can remember their kids and I can remember, you know, kind of what they were going through. I had a client just here recently that, you know, was talking about her husband and I remembered his name. And I remembered that when she was, you know, attending, seeing me previously, like there were some issues going on and what those issues were. And she was just really shocked that, you know, that I remember these things, but it, you, you, you do, you invest and in, and these are, you know, again, memories that I have even more so than, you know, my own personal uh, <laughs> life experience. But yeah, I think it's, it's easy to, to invest in people. And I, I can understand why you would be emotional at that mm-hmm. point. Well, the work that is done in counseling is so 
I mean, it's, it's deep. It's a lot, you know, I mean, just, it is, mm-hmm. it is a lot of work and that what a, what a sacred space that we keep with a client, you know, that we share with them and that they, I'm honored, you know, to be part of that journey for them. They are just delving deep into things that are so important to them and so much a part of their life. Of, of course, I, you know, I am very proud of them when they move forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, next question here, I, again, good question. What are the most important traits for a counselor to have? Mm. The first thing that pops into my head is just empathy, being able to empathize with a person mm-hmm. and like we just talked about being able to show the emotion when we need to, to, you know, share appropriately, um, to be a good listener, to make sure that I think environment is really important. The setting, like I think, you know, I've, I've worked with therapists that, you know, maybe work in a, an environment that just is not warm and, and welcoming. And, you know, maybe they're sitting at a desk and I'm sitting at, you know, in a chair across from the desk or, you know, something like that, where it's just not comfortable. That's one thing in my office. Like I don't use overhead lighting. I have lamps mm-hmm. and a nice comfy sofa and coffee table. And it's just, it's more like, you know, your living room than a, than an office mm-hmm. and people come or comment on that, you know, and say like, it's really cozy in here. It's really homey. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's part of my master plan to make them comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and the Kleenex are there. Uh, another another sign of a good therapist. There's boxes of Kleenex exactly. <laughs> within an arm's length always. Isn't that amazing? How just like the environment can set something up. I mean, mm-hmm. it, that that's pretty amazing. It, all that it happens long before the client even walks in, but it's mm-hmm. conducive to them getting to where they need to go. Yeah, a little bit of aromatherapy or, Mm -hmm. you know, a nice candle, like there's, there's lots of little things that you can do to kind of set the mood, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that feel comfortable. And like my particular office, we have groups. So you you walk into the office and it's, you know, fluorescent lighting and chairs and, you know, so it's not the most comfortable, but then when you walk into my actual office, it's a completely different setting. So Mm -hmm. I think that's important. I think that's an important thing and just make someone feel comfortable. But most, most of all, I think, you know, being a good listener, being able to, you know, really let the person know that you're paying attention, repeating things, remembering things, you know, taking good notes so that you're not asking the same questions during the next session. So those are just a few things off the top of my head. Yeah. I'll tell you over the 10 or 11 years you've had your office, every time I go in there, it is so clean too. You do (laughs) such a good job of it. Like while you're working, when I walk in there, everything is just well is organized. I I think that helps. It just looks like a space where you can just get ready to do your work. Well, thank you. I try. It's, that's something that's really important to me is, um, keeping a, you know, a tidy environment. Cause I, and we've, we've talked about this in the past. I think, I think it's a direct reflection of what's going on in your head. You know, if your environment is chaotic and you have stuff all over the place, then it's, you know, it's a sign that your thinking is probably not where it needs to be. And, Mm. you know, again, I think that's something that I had a client tell me not, uh, it's it's probably been a couple of years, but I was sitting on the couch and made a reference to like all the wires under my desk, all the cables and plugs and things. And I had never sat on the couch and like looked across at my office. And when I did, I realized, well, that looks really awful. So I fixed it. (laughs) How 
Interesting. I wonder how many of us have ever sat in the chair where the the client sits to see what that looks like. For, oh boy, when I go to my office today, I'm going to have to look. <laughs> Although I, we haven't had anyone, our doors are shut and we're, we don't have people in our office right now. Uh, just still COVID, you know, people can, but people ha- don't make those appointments to come in anymore. So I have things scattered everywhere. I'm reorganizing something. You would be appalled. <laughs> you would be ashamed. <laughs> stress me out (laughs) (laughs) but it's all the mood lighting is still there so um this question i think is a real the next one's a really good one when someone can't afford counseling anymore or maybe they couldn't afford it at all uh in the beginning what's a a, an effective alternative so there are you know aa na there's a lot of community-based support available to people there are, you know, churches that have programs and, and counselors sometimes that are available to see people at no cost. There are charitable nonprofits, like I work for a nonprofit uh, that offers free counseling to its group counseling um, to anyone that, that wants to come and attend. I am still blown away by that. Yeah, it's really awesome. And we do virtual and in-person. I do the in-person groups. And um, anybody is anybody can come. It's completely free. That's fantastic. Are you so able to say their name? Oh, uh, the found it's Foundation Forty Five. That's fantastic. Is the name of the nonprofit. It's it's an excellent organization. You can go to their website, their social media, and get the scheduling. Um, again, there's we have Zoom meetings available Mondays and Thursdays, and then we have in-person meetings on Sundays. So and we're getting ready to start up an LGBTQ specific group that'll be on Tuesdays and will be virtual. So again, it's a fantastic organization and it's just one organization out of dozens, mm-hmm. uh, especially here in the DFW area that, you know, you can find resources and, you know, get free therapy. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important things, uh, I stress this a lot to people becoming counselors, but to anybody is that. We, counseling doesn't have to be what we do to get better and be supported. Just mm. having a support system is important. Just surrounding ourselves with people who, who support us, don't shame us, you know, who let us be who we are, let us come to them emotionally. And they're, they're, they're welcoming and supportive of that. And they give good feedback and you just, just wherever, wherever that friends, some family, you know, people at work, wherever, just you have somebody to turn to when you're having an issue. If you can open your phone and in your contacts, you've got a couple of people that is better than uh, not having anything at all. Absolutely. And And that uh, is, Sorry. sorry. No, no, I was just going to say that is one of the great things about, you know, finding support through like community based programs is a lot of time you have, you know, and you can start building your network of people, you know, people that are there to support you or people that are going through the same thing, you can get phone numbers and you can, you know, keep in touch and we encourage people to do that. Absolutely. It's just important. Everybody has that every human being has a has a has the need to connect. Mm -hmm. The wind. So our last question um, is, what is the most challenging thing about being a counselor? That's a great question. Um, I think it is that being a counselor requires a lot of energy because we, I mean, for me, like when I'm, when I'm with a person, I have to be present with them and that requires energy and attentiveness all day long. There's not a lot of 
chance to let your mind wander. Mm -hmm. And what's challenging for me is making sure that I'm taking care of myself so I have something to give because burning out, I mean, I've burnt out before in my uh, my life, I mean, my career more than once, uh, been at just a point where I had nothing left to give. And that's real challenging because when I came home, you know, I had people who I live with and I love and I want to be there for them, but I had nothing left, you know, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the best way I ever heard a counselor describe burnout it was in Orlando, Florida. I was at a, at a conference doing this talk on burnout. And I asked them, you know, like what, how do you know when you're in burnout? And the lady told me it was the best thing ever. She said, I walk through my front door, start taking my bra off. I put on my pajamas at 4 PM and I get on my couch for dinner. If I eat, I have a bag of microwave popcorn And I wake up sitting there in the morning and I have to go do it all over again. (laughs) I was like, ah, I can relate to you, sister. (laughs) I've been there, just emotional exhaustion that can come whenever we're kind of running on empty. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes a pattern and a intention and a process, you know, to take care of myself in a way that I have something to give other people. Uh, It's it, what clients in drug and alcohol treatment deal with and have gone through in their lives. I mean, think about the kind of life you have to have had for drugs to be a good alternative. You know, some of our clients have experienced some significant trauma and hearing that, you know, they call it like third hand trauma. It's hard to hear some of the really traumatic things that people share with us. It's part Mm -hmm. of our job and Uh, it's painful. I hurt for clients uh, sometimes. And it's uh, just, I have heard some really sad, awful things that people have gone through. And um, yeah, just in that moment, I am, I'm very sad for them. And and that can, that can, that can be hard. It can be, um, it can be hard to hear. It can be traumatizing and it can also just be energy consuming. And I completely agree with you. That's that's definitely a challenge I have I have faced as well. And, you know, there's different things that I've developed over the years that help with that. But there are just some days where, you know, you come home feeling kind of yucky from hearing, you know, something that someone's experienced and, you know, seeing what a good like, you know, what good energy they have and what a good kind person they are and to have experienced this trauma or these things that are so hurtful, these wounds like it is. It is difficult, and I, I, I agree with you 100%. Self care is just incredibly, incredibly important mm-hmm. in the field that we're in. Yeah, I had a client, uh, not a client. I'm sorry, a, a coworker once tell me that whenever she gets home from a, an incredibly hard day, she takes a shower and visualizes like <laughs> washing the yuck off. She yeah. said she starts at the top and goes all the way, you know, her arms and, and just like washes off the yuck. And I thought that's a really good visual because sometimes in order to take care of ourselves, we do have mm-hmm. to wash it off and, and be present in, in our own lives. And hopefully it's better than sitting on the couch at 4 p.m. <laughs> eating, 
eating microwave popcorn. I love a good bag of popcorn. Boy, I thought she was reading my diary. <laughs> That's one thing I, I remember somebody, I don't remember who, but uh, also gave an example similar to that of uh, walking up to, you know, getting home from work and like walking up and picturing kind of a tree there that they would just drop the stuff off and then walk on into the house, have their evening with their family, walk out, pick the stuff back up, you know, and go on, go I on back to work. That's called, that's a story called the trouble tree, I think. Oh, is it? I'm going to have to find it and I'll put it in our resources because I've heard it before. It wasn't about a counselor, but it was, no. I think it was about a plumber. If I can remember that story correctly, uh, but I'll put that out there. I'll find that. I, I ought to share that with my students anyway. Yeah. Uh, I was, I'm a very visual person, so it was kind of helpful for me to kind of hear and, and visualize kind of what that would look like, just kind of setting it down and going on because we do, we have to, we have to give our best to our families as well. I mean, they're the people that support us and love us and, you know, to come home and be completely exhausted or emotionally drained. I mean, that is the reality sometimes, but it should not be the reality every single day. Exactly. It's not fair to them. And that's another reason why it's good to have a therapist, mm -hmm. your therapist. <laughs> Completely. I'm going to give a shout out to my students. Um, they write some really good questions. They have really good questions. And I am more confident each day that I spend with them that we're going to have a really good group of counselors coming out of our programs. Awesome. I love that. And these are great questions. I hope they keep them coming. Me too. Well, thank you so much, Joseph. Thank you. And don't forget that knowledge leads to a life lived better. Thank you for listening to Life Lived Better with Paula and Joseph. 